0: Welcome to Out of Hours, the fortnightly podcast featuring frank conversations about personal growth, business, and passions, recorded over a drink or two, out of work hours. I'm your host, Maxon Jones, founder of Story94, a video and podcast production company based in Oxford. Today, I'm joined by Ash Hudson, founder of Hudson's Agency, a sustainable marketing agency working with ethical brands to create a greener and fairer world. In this episode of Out of Hours, Ash and I talk about burnout, personal beliefs and values, and how you can stand up for them in business. We discussed our own personal values, how they have influenced our decisions as entrepreneurs, and we also talked about burnout, Ash's experience with it, how he manages it, and how burnout has become a systemic issue in the workforce today. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a comment or review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or CastBox. It'd be great to get your thoughts and feedback on today's episode.
1: All right, here is my chat with Ash. Ash, how are you doing? I'm very good. Very good. Thanks for having me.
0: No, pleasure. Pleasure. So for all the new listeners, um, we are out of hours by name and out of hours by nature. So it's currently 7.30 uh, in the evening. And because it's evening and we just finished a day of work, although Ash is actually on holiday, so <laughs> I guess he's out of hours for the whole week, um, it's always nice to enjoy a cold beverage. So Ash, what are you drinking this evening?
1: I'm drinking, so Small Beer Co. They're a a, a Corp. I'm going to undersell them now. They're a, a B Corp. Um, I just I just like them because, number one, they sort of align a lot with Hudson's Agency and, and our focus on sustainability led and ethically led brands um i won't tell too much about what they do but but they're alcohol free which is great for me i do drink but not not a lot i've got a really bad tolerance um and and i don't I don't go crazy i just i just I, basically everyone who i know they know i will fall asleep if i drink too much so not great for a podcast um and and they're, they're really a really cool company to work for and and yeah they're they're good i don't work for them but i follow them with a passion so nice. yeah well, in the first episode,
0: Harriet mocked me for drinking non-alcoholic non- beer.
1: Okay. I'm not going to mock you for this. No, no? No. What's your reason for drinking non-alcoholic beer? Is it just... It was the only one I had in my fridge. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> but today fair I way. went to Tesco and I got one, so I feel a little bit more prepared. Fair enough. Fair but enough. you did bring a six pack, so I think you're you're... Planning on going hard on the non-alcoholic
1: beer. 2.5% after six. <laughs> I, I, I might start getting snoozy after six.
0: <laughs> cool. So I've, I'm drinking a beer by the um, London Beer Factory. That's mm-hmm. it. Uh, Daydreamer. Uh, it's a New England session IPA. The more and more people listen to this podcast, the more people realize that I almost exclusively drink IPAs. Mm-hmm. I do like the odd lager, but I much prefer an IPA. So that's what I'm drinking today. So there we
1: go. See, one one thing I'm known for known for amongst my friendship group and people I work with is I'm a wine man. Oh, you should have brought wine. <laughs> Problem is I can't really sit on a podcast with a bottle of wine. Um, I'll get a reputation. <laughs> so um and, and, and to be fair, uh, it's not because I don't like beer. Um, it's just because look how poorly I pour a beer. Yeah, that's, that's pretty poor. So, um, But yeah, I couldn't sit here with a, a bottle of red wine. I can do that. <laughs> and, and then also get in the car and drive out. No, that's <laughs> very true. That's very true.
0: We, we actually only realised we both live in Banbury. We're currently in Oxford. So after this, we're both going to be basically doing the exact same commute Yes, back home. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Right. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about two things. We're going to be talking about burnout.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think we've got a lot to talk about there. And then we're also going to be talking about personal beliefs and values and how we can take those and kind of inject them into our business. Or in the case of Hudson's Agency, basically make our values the cornerstone mm-hmm. of our business. So to give a bit of context to people listening, Ash, can you just tell, tell us about Hudson's Agency? Tell us the story.
1: Yeah. So I suppose, how far do you want to go back? Why we started working with ethical brands, go back that far? Or do you want to just focus on what we do today?
0: Let's go back. Because I'm I'm interested, I'm interested to know what point you decided to work with ethical brands.
1: Yeah, so I've done so I I was with an agency for about six years. Um and and moved moved on from that purely for geographical reasons because I fell in love and, and she wasn't moving down to where I was, so I had to come up there. Um so I left the agency and just started doing consultancy with anybody. Um, and much like the agency I worked for, you know, one day we'd be working for a small solicitors. Then we'd be working for a big e-commerce brand. Like it's a yes to anyone virtually, um, which is fine. You know, some businesses work that way. And, and I did the same. I fell into the same pattern. Um, and, and after about two years, I hated it. Pretty much, I, I you know, two reasons to hate it. Number one, every new client that came along, I was having to relearn their business. There was no <laughs> consistency with who I worked with, um, and then number two, there were some clients, without mentioning names, where you know, although it was unspoken, the objective was how much can the MD. Make um, or how quickly can we sell this business? There was no heart behind it at that point. Okay. Um, there were a few lifestyle brands in there too, where it was all lifestyle businesses, where it was just like you know, is it just to, to make money. That's it. Then really we care about what we do. Um, and then I, I sort of so I got to a point with uh, with a consultancy where I was, like, I might just stop. Um, I just was enjoying day to day work. Um, and then I sat back, had a look at who I did enjoy working with and who I didn't. And there was this very small subset of of ethical brands, and I use that quite loosely because some of them now I look at and think they weren't ethical. They were just sort of selling themselves to that. But at that point, they looked ethical. Um... And, and overnight, quite literally, and, and it was just before COVID started, which was sort of a pretty ballsy move. I obviously didn't know COVID was going to start. I, I said, no, that's it. We're just focusing on ethical brands now. And the particular area I wanted to focus on was sustainability. Um, for a simple reason, it was the only area which I had a, a real personal passion for. Um, just for my own reasons, but also being brought up, my dad was nuts about the environment, you know, in family he's a bit of a, he's seen as a bit of a left wing nut when it comes to that sort of stuff. Um, so I said, right, that's it. We're only working with ethical brands. Um, I put a bit of a definition together for that, just to sort of control us a little bit. Um, and, and then went from that point onwards. Good thing is when COVID came along, um, because of how we'd structured it um, and, and the flexibility brands then needed, he actually saw a real turning point in that we were getting a lot of inquiries, um, and then and then it grew from there. and And today, we work with a huge variety of, of different brands, from sort of your, your lifestyle brands. Um, you know, we've just taken on a, a new client who does lovely body washes, candles, and stuff with a sustainability focused. Um, we're talking to a, a paint brand at the moment who again are environmentally focused, um, and there's some just wildly wonderful brands out there all just trying to change their industry for the better. Um, and, and that's where we are today. So essentially how we break it down is is any brand we work with have, have to have a core of them have an objective around achieving some sort of environmental, economic, or social change. Mm-hmm. But one thing I always say is that doesn't mean charities. I don't want to work with charities. Now, it's not because I hate charities. It's because I've worked with charities before and Let's say eighty percent are really poorly managed, um, and and also uh, they're really hard to get progress done with. Mm-hmm. And 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 my belief is, you know, it's not my belief; it's fact. I suppose the world is driven by money, um, profit, profit, profit. And and if we are really to achieve the long term change we need to in a short short span, we need to figure out how do we make how do we build profitable businesses that don't put people and the planet last. And, and I fundamentally believe from the clients we work with, you can be good to the planet, good to people, and make profit at the same time. Um, and I think really, me as a marketer, the businesses I work with, owe it to everybody, owe it to themselves to do that. Um, and, and why not? It sounds like a challenge. So, so that's where we are now.
0: One of the things we spoke on the last episode was risk, about setting up a business. Do you think you were taking on a large amount of risk By niching down your business,
1: Um, I suppose no, because um, first of all, there wasn't much to lose. You know, we weren't a big business, so you know, and and it wasn't the only income I had at the time. So, you know, if if it all went to crap, so be it. You know, it would have been a real personal hit, but but I would have survived. You know, Mm I'd still be able to feed my partner and that. Um, However, secondly to that, I don't think it was risk actually because beforehand i was just in a club with every other digital marketing agency out there um which you know uh, i think i touched upon before we started you know we're not the best digital marketing agency out there. You know, there's there's some fantastic agencies out there who are far better than we are. Um, They don't suit everyone's business, especially if you're a, you know, if you're a sustainability-led brand, you don't want to be working with the same agency who a day later on a meeting with BP, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to, you want to make sure your partners align with you. So actually, I think it's been the opposite of a risk for us. It's, it's It's allowed us to really, glow in a small group um and then be the biggest risk to running a business is in my opinion not enjoying it that's that's the biggest risk because the minute i don't enjoy doing it i'm gonna quit simple as that yeah. you know with any anything i do whether it's as an employee or running my own business um so i just look at it as, as that really i enjoy it more now than i did then
0: yeah there's a there's a quote there's riches in the niches mm. Even though it's pronounced niches, but yeah, and and it's true because I think a lot of people do think that they're going to lose money by saying Mm -hmm. no to all this work because it's you can kind of quite easily fall into the feast and famine cycle uh, when you're setting up a business. Is Mm -hmm. you kind of you want to be scrappy, you want to try and get as much work as you can, and a lot of uh, and what that usually results in is saying yes to, to pretty much everyone. Yeah. When I first started as a freelance videographer. I say first side, it was within the kind of the first or second year. I had a referral to, um, it was a cigarettes company. And at the time I was like, I, I don't really want to do this work. Mm-hmm. but I don't want to say no to it. I don't want to appear as if I'm not, if I, I'm not, you know, thankful for the referral. So I took the meeting and it didn't actually end up going anywhere. So I never did that work. Uh, on reflection i 'm so glad that i i didn 't get that piece of work because i don 't want to be involved with mm-hmm. you know those types of clients uh, and there was another one that I ended up that I did do some work for which uh, they're a company which um, did um, they did like the the game drives where you kind of go out and shoot pheasants and stuff. Mm-hmm. And even though at the time I was a vegetarian, <laughs> I was still like, "Well, they do work in lots of other event sectors, so I'll I'll take that piece of work because there's the opportunity for more work down the line." Mm-hmm. And even though it does kind of disagree with my morals a little bit, um, I, I'll just try and overlook that. Yeah. On reflection, I wish I hadn't done that piece of work. Now it didn't actually result in mm-hmm. any future work with this business. It was just that one-off project. Um, but it is very easy, I think, to just say yes and to yeah. actually dismiss your beliefs and your values for money, especially when you're starting out.
1: Yeah, and there's there's one one experience that really stands out. Is um, so I did some work with, and this was before Hudson's agency um, with a gambling company. Oh, okay, um, and. And, then, and to be honest, it was, I, I have no issue with gambling at all. You know, if you want to gamble, gamble. Um, but my, so I, I've never had an addiction, but my, so growing up, my dad had a awful alcohol addiction, some drugs too, but mostly alcohol. Um, so I sort of grew up surrounded by addiction and realizing how damaging it could be. But still, I always separate it off as, well, some people can enjoy alcohol. Some people can enjoy gambling and, and enjoy it. It's absolutely mm-hmm. fine. However, I, I sort of, draw the line that if you know somebody's got a problem, don't push them. No, don't push them towards it. And and we had a few meetings with this gambling company and they had no hesitation in saying, we want to figure out how to target people who, because of their economic situation, because of their background, are more prone to problem gambling. And I and I, I sat there at the time and, and it was one of those things, we're in a meeting and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 sure, sure. And then you sort of walk out and you think, Jesus, what did I just hear? Mm. Um, and I don't know about regulations on gambling and stuff, but after, after, it was such a proud moment because I then sent off an email. Because it, was, it was going to be work directly myself saying, we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the ability to do what you want, you know, through the likes of Facebook's incredibly detailed targeting and so forth, but we're not going to do it. I'm not going to target someone who lives on a council estate, struggling with money, and try and turn them into a problem gambler for your short-term gain. Yeah. Um and and it's an incredibly empowering empowering feeling when as you said not only do we get to choose who our clients are but more crucially we get to choose who we don't work with because they don't align with us. Um and it's a real you know you've experienced I've experienced it. sometimes you you sort of speak to clients and and you walk away and think I don't want my name associated with that. Um, and that, that, that was, although that's not connected to Hudson's agency, that always sits in the back of my mind as to now, I can honestly reel off some clients and I wouldn't have any issue with my name being associated with theirs. Yeah. Um, whereas back then, there's a few, um, for various reasons, I'd be like, mm, let's, not, let's not link us too much. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's incredibly empowering to, to be able to say, yeah, I'm going to work with you and that's because I'm happy with my name and your name being side by side. Um, beyond the typical thing of a really big brand, it makes us look big. You know, it's more of an, a personal connection there.
0: Yeah. And with me, uh, with the podcast studio and with starting to do podcasting, uh, is in producing podcasts mm. for, for clients, is I'm in control of who, whose podcast I produce. Mm-hmm. So if someone was to come to me and actually say, you know, we want to produce a podcast that's about this and sharing these views and these ideologies, if they don't line up with what I believe in, I know 100% that now I would just say, no.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna be involved in you sharing and promoting that message because mm. that doesn't line up with my beliefs. But yeah, it's taken me a, a few years to get to that point, to be yeah. comfortable enough and confident enough to say, actually, no, I don't need your, your work. Uh, I'm not going to sacrifice my values and beliefs mm-hmm. for you know, however much money. Yeah. Uh, it's just not worth it. No, absolutely. So you mentioned earlier that sustainability has been a big thing for you personally. Mm-hmm. What, what was the driver of that? How did you kind of, how did that become a value for you?
1: Uh, it was purely growing up. Um, you, know, you know, although my dad was a, a pain in the ass growing up for various reasons. Um, the one area which, which, you know, I take away from my childhood is how much he loved the environment, um, and, and I, I say about a pinch of salt because I think actually for our generation, generations for us, that was always the case. Potentially, of you'd spend most of your time outside, um, and and I think it's interesting. I was I was thinking about earlier today actually because I've got a a nephew who just because of his his generation don't spend much time outside at all, mm-hmm. and and the reason I got thinking about him is because um, today there was a, a report basically saying that we're now at that point where climate change can't be reversed. We can limit elements of it, but we're we're heading towards disaster and it's kind of too late to act on the big things anyway. Um, and I was sort of trying to get my head around why, although people are becoming a lot more climate conscious, why still the majority of society, certainly the people in power, don't care too much. Um, and then I, I got to thinking, well, it's potentially only going to get worse because one thing I see now is when I'm outdoors and, and so forth. And when, and when I'm tr- driving here this evening, and you see all these new build states going up. I sort of think of what the outdoors outdoors was like when I was growing up. And I look at it now and I can see the change. Um, and people like my nephew aren't going to see that change because they don't spend time outdoors. So they're not going to sort of see how things change over the decade, over decades. Um, So growing up, we'd always spend time outdoors. Um, My dad is the sort who, you know, he would, in in weird ways now I think about it, he would make us become a bit obsessed with certain plants um trees and you, know, you i wouldn't call him a tree hugger <laughs> but but you know he was he was probably on the borderline um so i've always respected it i've always spent time in it and then as you grow up you see how it's changing and then obviously you hear all this stuff um and it's just a bit more tangible for me than maybe some other people is um the other thing which sort of it has become more of a concern of mine over the last sort of six to 12 months. And we were talking about earlier is having kids. Um, and and I know people say, when you have a kid, everything changes. Um, and and I think even when you're thinking about having a kid, everything changes because suddenly I'm thinking, like, oh God, what's the world going to be like in 30 years, 50 years time, especially now with everything going on, you think, God, what's the world like now? Um, and, and basically it's thinking, okay, Someone that I'm gonna to bring to this world is gonna to have to live with consequence of my generation, the previous generations. Um, but then equally, I've seen the change from from growing up. And I also think I have the power to have influence as millions of people do. Um, and looking at how our roles, you know, I'm a marketer and, and you're a videographer. And I think there's a, 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 I just love the fact that you can come to me with a product and I can sell it for you. Um, and now I think, okay, I can do that. And in most cases, that caused a lot a lot of environmental damage. So now I'm going to try and change that. And I say, you bring me a product, as long as it's a clean product, and I will try and change the market with you so that the dirtier brands haven't got as much market space. Um, and yes, yeah, so ho- hopefully that answers your question anyway. It gives you a bit of an idea in sort of how I got into it. It's interesting, yeah, talking about kids. Because I think
0: there's a quote, I can't remember where I heard it, but it was... You, the average person will uh, overestimate what they can do in a year mm-hmm. but underestimate what they can do in a decade. And I think this was actually in more relation to what we're going to talk about later with burnout um, and how we put ourselves under unnecessary pressure to try and do things immediately. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's the the, the slow progress, the, the aggregation of marginal gains that gets us where we want to want us to go. Um, but the same can be said with sustainability mm-hmm. and with making these small changes in your lives that can result in a bigger outcome. Yeah. And personally, and I think most people, we think, we don't really think long term, no. you know, when you're in your your early teens or twenties or thirties, whatever, when it's just you that you're thinking about, you only really think about, well, you think about to holiday going to go on next year, mm. or you're just thinking, you're not thinking decades
1: no. you know in the mm-hmm. future.
0: But I think once you have a child, even though neither of us have children, but with the fact that we've both been talking about our, our plans to have children in yeah. the next uh, not with each other. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was a funny way of phrasing it. Yeah. Um but our plans to have children in the next couple of years yeah. suddenly we're thinking, well, what's what's the world gonna be like for them when they're ten, what's gonna be like for when they're 20, what's gonna be like for their thirty. And so yeah. we are looking at decades. Yeah. 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 Um Absolutely. the yeah the decisions we make
1: yeah, and one thing we've recently launched is is Decade Earth. Now, when so essentially, in very simple terms, what we're doing is is we have a lot of brands come to us that are very new and don't have a budget to pay us. So what I wanted to do is set aside an amount of time every year that we will work with these brands free of charge. Um, well, one brand a year. And the reason when when I was thinking, okay, what what do we call it? And the reason I called it Decade Earth is because when trying to figure out how do we refine down who we will sort of accept into this program the only rule is that they are in it for at least a decade and that within that decade they can have a uh, they can demonstrate an impact i'm not expecting them to do it in a year two years three years it's it's a long term thing um and a bit like you know we're not investing in them but we're saying to them look i'm not going to invest in you and expect you to be able to achieve what you want in the next year or two this is a long-term thing, um, and that, that's one thing I found with with this with with the, the clients we work with now is they are incredibly long-term thinkers, which is a a real something quite unique. Which I don't think a lot of maybe a lot of founders do have it. Um, I think there's a difference between a founder and a business owner. I think a founder is someone who's typically an ideas person and has this sort of end vision. Um, but I suppose your standard founder can be quite—they um, want to get everything done ASAP. Um, whereas with these types of people, you just don't get that. That's, that's one thing I've noticed, anyway.
0: So moving away from founders then, and more onto established businesses, what what can people do to actually start thinking about becoming greener and more sustainable? Because something that you and I both do is we offset our uh, carbon footprint using ecology. Mm-hmm. That was something I started doing in January of last year uh, because um, someone that I climbed Kilimanjaro with when I was a student uh, called Sam Jackson, he uh, started working at Ecology. So I saw him on LinkedIn, I saw what he was doing and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm gonna sign up for that. Um, And then you also just Mm -hmm. happened to to do the same. And it was a decision that was very easy to make because it was like, yes, I definitely want to to do that. But it also uh, kind of raises the question of like, is that enough? definitely not mm-hmm. uh, it's a start yeah um there's more that could be done but what are your kind of views on that
1: i think so so uh, there's the two factors i think first of all if you can do anything do it because there as you touched upon there a lot of people and i've even felt with sometimes when sort of promoting you know we've planted maybe three thousand trees i can't remember how how much um uh co2 we've removed and stuff but but sometimes when you promote stuff like that especially as it becomes more popular, you feel like um, everyone can do it, so do you even sort of talk about it? Or do you even do it even? Mm. Um, And I would always say, if you can do anything to just help, do it. You know, because, uh, and this is ecology's whole theory, if we can get millions of businesses doing this, then imagine the impact and and they're demonstrating it. However, what I would always say, especially for more for the larger businesses is there's some brilliant people you can talk to. And and that's the key is no business owner is going to understand their business's carbon footprint and then know how to solve it. Um, and, and therefore, you know, there's one, one, one I'll mention is um, small 99 um, a guy called Adam talking to him in a couple of weeks time. Actually um, he, he, he's basically creating a roadmap and making resources available to small businesses and, um, to become more sustainable because he's so right in that it's, it's actually easier for big businesses to become sustainable because it costs a lot of money. Um, and also, it's in the bluntest terms, it's quite easy to identify where where, you, where your, your carbon footprint's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're a, a business with 16,000 lorries on the road where do you start maybe you know let's try and electrify some of them um, but it's for small businesses where it's often you often sit there and you think what, what can I do mm. um, and some of the resources small 99 are putting out fantastic um, equally and it's a slightly different route if you were to go down the route of becoming a B Corp you know there's a set process to go through where they basically uncover your carbon footprint as well as other factors. you know B Corp isn't just about sustainability um, and Better Not Stop is a brilliant organisation so um, a lady called Hannah who, who who runs that company um and they will work with you to understand okay and like i said it's outside of sustainability too um but give you sort of a a view of what what your organization's carbon footprint is but i would just say do something and if you really want to get serious about it um and and you know there's there's space for your brand Then get some help. You know, don't try doing it yourself. And you know, it it, it takes money. So that's 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 a massive factor. Um, one thing I would say too is there's so many simple ways you can do it. If you have an office and you're having everyone driving every day, tell them to stay at home a few days a week. Um, you know, if you're doing business trips abroad, just get on Zoom to talk to a client. Yes, there's so many little things you can do that just have a have an impact. Yes, they're not as marketable as something like ecology. But if you care about having an impact, you'll do it. Um, you know, it's not just a marketing thing. Um, but yeah, I'm not not an expert in, in it and I tend to push people off to other people to figure out how to do it. Um, and that's something I've had to do a few times because clients sometimes come to us and I'm like, are you sustainable? Um, and i say, you know, before we work together, I'd like you to sort of figure out if you are um, and and if, if we're a good partnership because of that. Hmm.
0: Yeah, because it, it you can get, I think you can get creative in how you become more sustainable, as mm-hmm. like you said, kind of, you could, well, from home is the obvious one, but you could car share it. There's lots of different yeah. things you could do to try and reduce your carbon footprint. Um, and it's both, I think, in the business sense, also in a personal sense, you, you get tested quite a lot, especially, I think, as a consumer, mm-hmm. um, moving away from being a business owner, like when you're out... Grocery shopping, like it's so easy to pick the cheapest laundry detergent, mm-hmm. but actually that's probably the worst one you could buy when we're yeah. thinking about the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is in those moments where you get tested, mm-hmm. and that decision can be quite tough when it's the difference between buying one pound laundry detergent mm-hmm. or nine pounds for Ecova or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think it's it's so a prime example in my family. So my family, you've got me over here who will, you know, I'm wearing Finisterre air today. You know, I will pay eighty pounds for a jumper because of their sustainability and their ethical credentials. But then you've got my sister who is Primark all the way. She doesn't care. Um and and you know, and I think you, you never you're never gonna change and, and over time, you know, don't get me wrong, a lot of sustain sustainable sort of products are still expensive and have been expensive. That, that's going to change. Um, but what's going to have the biggest impact is, and, and this is one 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 thing I often sort of fall out with other people in my sector with, where you get some people in the sustainability space who hate the idea of big companies becoming sustainable because there's just this this idea that they're never going to be doing it genuine. I sort of get that. Um, there's definitely a lot of examples of it. But if Brands like Primark, like Nike, can become a little bit more sustainable, It has a massive impact. You know, a brand like that becoming a little bit more sustainable can have the impact of 10,000 small businesses becoming more sustainable. Um, so I think it's great that we're seeing these big brands doing it. Um, but equally, and this is something Adam from Small 99 and I have been talking about, is most businesses are small businesses. The fact that if you can get that huge proportion of businesses become potentially a lot more sustainable, it has a huge impact. And and the consumer habits will sort of follow. You know, consumers, uh, and this is what I like like about being a marketer, is without trying to make myself sound like some sort of magician, you know, (laughs) marketers decide... Where consumers are in five years' time, in ten years' time, we're all set. and we're all on our own things, but we, yeah, you know, we're all ultimately sort of doing the same thing. Um, and and as brands, as brands are forced to change by consumers in a certain respect, brands also change what consumers expect. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's it's difficult. It's 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 very difficult. Um, and and one 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 thing, and it's it's quite dark, but one thing I think is going to have a biggest impact is we're going to start facing climate change ourselves now. A prime example, I've got family out in Australia. For us over here, yeah, yeah, we get some pretty bad winters. Summers are becoming a bit more extreme now. But a lot of the climate change things we're experiencing here, besides some parts of the country, is flooding and stuff. Certainly where we are, it's quite nice to a degree. You know, summer's a bit hotter now. (laughs) Um, And winter, yeah, it's a bit wetter. Um, But then... There's people who are in in the bloodstream in more developed countries who are now facing the consequences of climate change, where in less developed countries they've had that for decades. Mm. Um, and like I say, I've got family in Australia now where where you know burning rainforests and forests are just at their door, and now they're they're basically you know the dangers of it are knocking at their door, and they're going to change because of that. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that it has to come to that for us to change. But as as COVID showed, you know we don't really listen until it's punching us in the face um and i I feel like uh that's going to be a big part of it too as depressing as that is hence me saying it's quite dark i think the change will happen because we're forced to change because people start to realize that what they're doing is causing the the woods you know 20 miles away to burn um so I i think that will just be part of it too a Bit late by that point, but it's going to be part of it. Yeah, slight tangent, but but I'll throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: it, the thing is, the way that I see it from like as just a, a, a human being that's just watching everything unfold, mm-hmm. you I feel like you just have like this shell shock. Mm-hmm. It's just you just can't quite comprehend what is happening, mm-hmm. but it's everything. It's with uh, what's happening in Ukraine, it's with the flooding that's happening in Australia, mm-hmm. it's with the cost of living just absolutely squeezing every last penny out of every person mm-hmm. in the UK, and you just think. How have we come to this yeah what do we do
1: yeah and i i think so so one thing i will say is working with sustainable brands and and i as i we talk a lot about sustainability you know we work with brands that aren't sustainability led; they're, they're focusing on other issues but, but primarily sustainability but also in your case where you might not work with a huge portion of them but you're seeing it it's very easy to become incredibly downtrodden um and and one guy who I have a huge amount of admiration for is is, is Sam, who's the MD at um, at, at um He might not be MD; he's, he's co CEO or something. Um, and PropellerNet, although they're not a fully sustainability led agency, they are doing so much. They're B Corp. They're doing so much, and he's he's nuts about climate change, um, angry about climate change. And I spoke to him a few months ago after he'd got involved with all the, the cop stuff that was going on. And he said, he said, I've had to take a couple of weeks off because it can just get so depressing and so overwhelming. Um, And that's definitely, definitely part of the situation, which is why as much as I, you know, the news and stuff is fantastic and making sure we all know what's going on out there. I think for the average person, and I'm not sort of trying to claim I'm some sort of superhero, but for most people, it's like, where do we start? And again, and, and part of the, when I saw the report come out today where they said basically, um, you know, we, we can't turn around a lot of these things, part of me looked around and thought, oh, that's not good. Let's not say that. Because the minute someone says it's too late, you're like, well, what's the, what's it, the let's point just, then? Yeah. let let's us. And let's, uh, let's, it. But, but yeah, it's, it is incredibly, um, it can be very overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, quite depressing at times too.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what you're just touching about in terms of, taking time off. Mm. I think quite nicely kind of goes into the next topic that we're gonna be talking about today, which is burnout. Mm-hmm. What's your experience of burnout been?
1: So 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 back when I was at an agency, and I, I'll start this off by saying it was not my employees' fault. Yeah, I think that's really important to say. Um, and it, it it was it was my fault as a young person exploring the working world for the first time. So I'd been there for for several years. I then met uh, Emily, my partner, um, and I was traveling, what, maybe an hour 30 each way every day. So three hours back and forth on the train, besides basically bankrupting me and prices going up every year and then the service went down. But but, but also it was just incredibly tiring. And and, and what I did there is I, I led there, um, certainly in the later time, I led their online marketing team. Um, so I would have been maybe 18, 19, 20. Um, and... And it just became incredibly stressful. Now, that was a combination of the role and, and you know, no structure around the role, but then also the, the travel and, and stuff like that. At that age, I'd never experienced it before. So I had no idea how to deal with it. I didn't have any family members who had experienced or had any idea of dealing with it. And what essentially happened is a few things. So first of all, my relationship became incredibly bad um in that you know it got to a point where me and emily who i'm still with today she she stuck around um we we sat there and we said it's, it's got to end we can't carry on like this um you know it was our first time living together it was you know we had bills all of that stuff and and so forth and we were like we, we just can't do this anymore neither of us are enjoying it so it was that side of it there was a health side of it too in that um you know i, I went went to hospital with chest pains um had some Tests done and, and you know my blood pressure was just through surprise, surprise. Um and then there was the the mental side of it. So the the and this was the first sort of thing I noticed actually, so not necessarily in that order, but I started having panic attacks. Now, growing up, um, sort of without getting too deep into it, it's a whole other topic, but but there was a lot of domestic violence in, in my house, alcohol, and so forth. And because of that there's this tendency in me to be able to withstand incredibly high levels of stress and pressure and not show it. Um, And that was going on for months and months and months and months. And I didn't show it to anyone because growing up that was expected of you. It was just your life as a, as a young kid. Um, but then at some point it explodes. So I started having panic attacks. And at the start, I tried keeping them secret. Um, and the only time my partner became aware of it is literally where she woke up in the night and I was sat around the edge of her bed, struggling to breathe, crying. Um, and and then, you know, as soon as she became aware of it, she was like, okay, stuff's got to change. Because beforehand, I think she thought I was just being a bit of an arsehole. An um, <laughs> and, and I was sort of putting, making money over relationships. She didn't realise that I'd, I've never really learned how to manage this situation. Um, and, and because of my upbringing, I had different ways of hiding it that a normal person wouldn't. So I had that. And, and, and essentially, I got to a point where, through with, with her and myself, I said, that's it. And I just took a jump. I said, right, we're gonna, I'm going to get a new job locally. Um, it wasn't an easier job by any means, but local, uh, a fresh start. And, and also, um, the biggest thing I did was I went and started to see a counsellor. Um, and and it, it that just changed everything because what, what happened as a result of that is I started to learn who I was um, and why I do certain things and why I don't do certain things. Um, and I remember it so vividly because I'm not a particularly emotional guy. You know, I, I cry every so often. You know, there's, there's a few, there's a few I think, I think there, what's it I can't remember what it's called. There's a, a show on TV, Battersea Dogs Home. And I say, yeah, that's the closest you'll get me to, <laughs> to, to, to tears sometimes. Um, but, but I don't, yeah, I'm not a particularly emotional guy. I went into this counsellor and thought, I'll be all right. I'm just going to sit down and talk. Honestly, we're doing about five minutes. I was in floods of tears. Um, but it worked. And and I went back for multiple sessions, um, carried on for quite some time. And from that, I learned how my brain works and and why I do things, why I don't do things. And that's just been crucial now, managing it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my experience with it. And I don't think it's 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 unusual. I think the, the one thing I've taken from that, and I apply today when talking to people like yourself and, and people I work with, is I think the main sort of thought process is only people who run businesses can have burnout. I don't think it's really respected as much how anyone in a company, employees, can have it. Mm. Um, and that doesn't even mean direct, or you know senior management, stuff like that. Anyone in the company can have it. And, and one thing I've learned is, and, and I try to apply, is it's a responsibility of the people at the top, obviously look after themselves, but be aware that anyone in your company could be suffering from it. We all have different levels of capability, different levels of stress, withstanding stress. Um, And I I think that was the biggest thing. I think at the time, the few people I spoke to, not mentioning names where I said, I'm struggling, I did get a few responses which were like, you're not running the business. Mm -hmm. Why are you struggling? You're not running a business. It's like, no, I'm not, but I still take pride in what I'm doing and I wanna work hard. yeah, that's, that's my experience with it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think from like an employee's point of view, uh, I, I guess I can't input too much because I've only ever worked for myself apart from, you know, retail work. Um, but it's almost like when you're running a business, you have either clients or customers that you want to provide the best service or product for, mm-hmm. and that creates stress. But then it's the same thing if you're an employee because you still have someone that you're trying to... Please, and, yeah. and you know, and that's your your manager. So if you're under an unnecessary amount of pressure, mm-hmm. yeah, of course, burnout can still manifest in the mm-hmm. same way because it's the same pressure. It's just a, a different manifestation of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think the other thing is, and and you know, if you, if you're an MD CEO or whatever you want to call yourself, again, and and the vast majority are very good at this. Um, remember that the people who work for you their life isn't just what happens at work. There's stuff going on outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's your responsibility to take that into account. I know you're trying to run a business, but your business is people. And therefore, you've got to care for your people. And, and, and the one thing I'd just throw out there, and this has been said by a lot of people, is if you are an MD, founder, whatever you want to call yourself, and you, your belief is that your employee should work as hard or harder than you, shut up. Because that's not the way it works. You know, very simply, you know, I'm 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 a founder of my company. We don't have employees in the same way as a lot of companies do. But if I had an employee on, let's say, 40 grand a year, I'm earning more than that, okay? And also I'm building an asset over time. I don't expect him to be working more than I am or harder than I am to a point where you get burnout and stuff. Because it's not his business. And and that's one thing I've always found in Fury and I've experienced in businesses where it's that thing of you know, an M- an MD sits down with you and says, y- you're not working hard enough and you realise they're holding you to account of their level of work. It's like, well, yeah, it's your baby. Don't expect your employees to act like an MD. Mm. And if you want them to, give them a share of the company. Do that. Yeah, Simple as that.
0: It, it, but I think that must be a difficult transition though if you're going from being like a... Uh, solopreneur you're selling business yourself to your first employee you as a founder you do hold yourself accountable and you set the standard of the work that you work to Mm -hmm. but yeah you
1: can't assume or
0: expect your employees to work to that same
1: standard you know I, i and i think a few people have done this i separate the world out into two groups you have people who want to just be employees and don't get me wrong, there's lots of other groups, but people who just want to be employees and people who want to be the employer or the founder or whatever. And they're two different people and there's nothing wrong with being either one of them. My partner, she would never run a business. No interest in it because she knows she wouldn't potentially be good at it and also she has no interest in it. Um, Whereas I'm the opposite. I've always wanted to run a business. And those two minds are shaped slightly differently. So if someone has decided they want to be an employee then don't expect them to act like an employer. You know, they're two very different things. It's, it's slightly different if you've got someone who has actively sort of said, look, I want to get to this position. You know, I am I am a believer in, in take the role before you're given it. Um, you know, if you want to, if you're marketing manager and you want to become commercial director, you know, act like a commercial director and you will be given that role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but there is a slight difference there, but you've just got to appreciate they're two, two very different people and and, don't, and it's, it's easy for founders to think, why doesn't everyone think like me? It's like, well, most people aren't, haven't got that nuts mindset um, and, and don't, don't force it upon people. Um, yeah, simple as that. Mm.
0: I think moving away from burnout in employees to burnout then in employers. Mm-hmm. So you said that you first experienced your burnout when you were an employee. Yep. Now that you're all a founder, a business owner, mm-hmm. Have you experienced burnout in that capacity or are you now managing it so yeah. you don't experience burnout?
1: So, so no, I, I haven't experienced it since then for the simple reason that um, two things played a big role, the counsellor mm-hmm. and my other half, Emily. Um I, I i i'm the only person running my business so i don't have a co-founder I'd, I'd love to because i think they can sort of hold you to account a little bit and keep you at balance you can get some quite dangerous mixes sometimes um but but no I, I i largely control it now by sort of like i said i went away and understood why i do certain things um and you know it's that classic thing of power is it knowledge is power you know now i understand it i can sort of predict it and see it coming um but then having someone there who isn't really too much to do with your business who quite frankly looks at it from the outside and thinks why are you getting so over the top with this business you know and, and because they're not in it they don't have quite the same passion as you and that's just a reality and i, I don't think you can expect your partner to have the same passion as you do um, and sometimes having that view of someone you really trust and really care about really value their opinion who says look It's just a business, you know, take a step back, take a breather. So those two things. Um, The other thing I would say is deciding what it is you're trying to achieve. So for me, growing up and at the point where I had that um, burnout, I was money driven. So I wanted to earn more money. Um, Now I've sort of matured and realized actually it's not money I wanted, it's control. And I don't mean control of other people, I mean control of what I wanted to do. Um, and again, that was, that was something that came out of my counselling sessions of, um, you know, again, she looked back at my childhood and she said, there's two things you didn't have in your childhood. You weren't well off as a family um, and you struggled at times, you know, a few things. My, my, my parents used to move all our beds into one room at a certain time of year because they couldn't afford to keep the whole house, you know, so, so money was never something sort of there for us and therefore naturally you want what you don't have um and and part of that's wanting to prove to people who saw you then that you can do better but then the other factor which I'd never considered is she said you didn't have control someone else was controlling in a bad way your life and therefore now you want you want that control um and as time's gone on I've realized actually yeah money was sort of a bit of a sort of a a bit of a fog over it, really. What I wanted was the ability to say, I decide what I do in my life. Um, and as cliche as that sounds, I think that's it. And now what I've realized, and, and this this is something over the last year, Yeah, you know, I won't say how much I earn, but I earn plenty. And actually, I've got to that point now where I think I don't need to earn more to be happy. You know, I don't, I don't want to buy a house in Florida and all of that yet, maybe when I retire. Um, and, I, and I sort of look now and I think I would happily stay at this salary for the next 20 years and be more than happy. Um, and, and that sort of discounted the money side of it. I've always looked at money as, having a lot of money doesn't make you happy, but having no money makes you unhappy. Um, in that, there's a, there's that middle ground, that that is good. Um, I'm happy with that now. But what I've also got is, is I control what I do next. And if I wanna stop Hudson's Agency, I can do it. And then I can go somewhere else. No one else controls that. And I think the crucial thing is once you figure out what it is you're looking for, it stops you being pulled left and right by different factors that typically cause that burnout as a, as a founder or even as an employee um, is you've just got to pinpoint one or two things that are what drives you. Um, otherwise, it's easy to go through life and be attracted by different things, especially when you're on LinkedIn. You see all these people and you think, Okay, that person, their idea of success is the fact that they've got a massive reputation. Maybe, I, maybe that should be my idea of success. And then suddenly you're going after that. And then you see another person, it's clearly money. You think, actually, yeah, that's it. Um, choose, choose what your focus is. And then you can't get pulled left and right to, to different things, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, I think that what that kind of leads on to is this whole measurement of success, Mm -hmm. because as you say, well, measurement of success, but also comparison. And I think comparison is in of itself an entirely different topic that we could probably talk for hours about. Mm -hmm. But I'm totally on board with you in the sense of it's really important to have someone that is removed from the business to actually give you some... Really valuable input because when you're when you're in it, it just be, it's all encompassing. It mm-hmm. just it, it takes over absolutely everything. And for me, that's where my experience of burnout has kind of been. Mm-hmm. So I think I first had burnout when I was probably a university student. Mm-hmm. For me, it manifested as exam season, writing dissertations. It was like you just kept somehow you've had the energy up until the point where like the last exam was done and then it was just a crash. Mm. And thankfully I haven't had that same experience in business yet, but when I do take time off, whether that's for Christmas or whatever, it's almost as if like I suddenly get ill, you know, all this kind of stuff that you've been kind of keeping at bay for as long as you can just kind of comes flooding in. Mm-hmm. Um, so my partner Hazel, she is yeah incredible for kind of giving that, sort of holistic and outside perspective of, well, you know, if you were to take time off or if you weren't, you know, to get this project or to do this, it's not the end of the world. The business yeah. isn't gonna collapse in on itself but it's so easy to just get caught up in on it. Mm-hmm. And so you just work longer hours and you work harder because you're trying to prevent, you're trying to prevent this fictitious catastrophe from happening. Yep. But the reality is you suffer more in your head than you do in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of create these delusions in your head of these of what's gonna happen, but it's, it's actually a, a, an unlikely
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, scenario. So having that person Kind of being like a a guiding light or whatever it is, yeah. kind of over you is is immensely um, valuable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You 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 need them, and and this is this is. I'm sometimes envious of people who have co-founders because I thought, okay.
0: yeah, me too. I've thought this from the beginning because when I look at other production companies, they're usually co-founded. Mm. There's usually two people, um, and. Being a, a solo founder it is very isolating at times. Yeah. Even though you have this support network, you do still feel isolated because the buck stops with you. You need to do everything.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think you know the, the one benefit of not being a co-founder is unless you have employees, you can only let yourself down. You know, I, I imagine it's quite horrible if you are a co-founder to feel like you're the one dropping the ball and you other co-founder's you know doing pretty well and, and you're the one letting them down but but equally as you said it, it's incredibly lonely um and and also you've got that you, you've only got certain skill set
0: yeah I mean that's what we spoke about in the last episode um with Harriet was the whole she was setting up a business within another business that was providing yoga training um and then she had to buy that business from this other business mm-hmm. and suddenly she was a business owner yeah Prior to that point, she'd been an employee. She'd been a yoga trainer. She didn't know anything about what it was like to run a business. Mm. And it's the same thing with us when we decided to become founders of our businesses. It's like, well, I know video production. You know marketing. Mm. Doesn't mean we know much about profit and loss and all no. that kind of stuff. Everything that comes with running a business. So they're yeah, they're skills that you just need need to learn.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it makes it fun. Yeah. Yes. Kind of. <laughs> so yeah. it, it makes it fun. I've always, one thing I will say as a caveat, because there might be people listening who you think, well, actually marketers who start businesses have a bit of, are ahead of it a bit. Because they are, you know, a marketer, depending on, on your background exactly, but you have a rough idea of how to get clients, you have a rough idea of how to position your business, and you also have some element of that profit loss, loss aspect of it. Um, you know, I think it's more difficult if you're just a branding person mm-hmm. or if you're just a videographer, you know, to try and learn all the other sides of it. Um, so I don't by any way anyway, think I've had it the hardest, um, but, but nonetheless, it's, it's a, real, a real battle to, to try and sort of feel what could be feel the role of maybe two, three people mm. um, starting a business, but but equally then you've you've got no one to argue with, so it's quite like yeah, you know, I sit there and argue myself sometimes. Well, likewise, um, but yeah, there's good and bad things about, it, aren't there? There is, yeah,
0: and I guess that and that's where burnout manifests is when you're trying to do the roles of three, four people. Mm. But you just try and do it yourself.
1: Yeah, I, I really, I, I, do think it comes back to, in simple terms, just knowing yourself mm-hmm. is, is, and, and I, you know, and I, there's some brilliant people who, who I know personally who, who run very successful businesses and and do counselling and and things like that and are quite public about it. Um, I think the minute you take the time to understand yourself and let someone else tell you who you are, almost. Um, it, it unlocks everything. Um, and I've, I've always found, you know, putting mental health aspect of it aside, because I, you to go to counselling, you don't have to have a mental health issue, mm. you know, and I, I've always found it funny. Um, I I don't go to the gym anymore. I went to gym, you know, but, but people will spend money going to the gym, um, you know, and on various other things, but people don't sort of think, how do I look after my mental self? Mm. Um, and certainly if you're running a business, but to be honest, near enough anyone, why don't we sort of flex the muscles of our bra- brain and think, okay, how does this work? How do I get this to perform better? Um, and, and that's where I think if you can afford it because it's money um, and you're willing to unlock certain elements of your life, I think counselling can be can be incredibly powerful for any founder. Um, some people, it will just be that like, this is how you you you, you perform better. But for other people, you know, like myself, it's more looking back and figuring out why you do things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's I think that's key to It's knowing yourself, um, even the uglier parts. I think too. Mm. I think that's a, probably a
0: great bit of advice. And I think if if people take anything from this conversation, is probably yeah. I think that's definitely a, a great uh, avenue to explore if you are suffering from things like yeah. burnout and you need that support. Yeah. Ash, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. I feel like we've gone on slightly longer than we were intending to. Yeah. A few <laughs> tangents in there. We've um, gone into politics. <laughs> I know. I don't. That may or may not make the final cut. If it doesn't, maybe we be like a bonus episode. Yeah. But um, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure just... Kind of share with um, the listeners now. How how can they get in touch with you? How can they find more about you?
1: Um, so you can go to Hudsons Agency. Um, everyone I talk to to set up an account or anything says, "Is that an actual web address?" Yes, it is. hudson's.agency. Agency. Likewise, um, you can you can go on to LinkedIn and look for me. That's where I'm most active. Um, yeah, simple as that. No hard sell. Just look for me if you want to look for me, and and that will make me happy. Perfect. Been a pleasure, Ash. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe
0: and leave a comment or review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or CastBox. It'd be great to get your thoughts and feedback on this episode. Thanks, and I'll see you in the next one.